Well, welcome, and thank you guys for tuning in, and, uh, and welcome to the living room, as Matt has been saying. That's pretty amazing, and um, it's been a great, great way to reach out to people, as he said, and I hope that you're taking advantage of that. You know, I was thinking about it this week, and I was thinking, wow, I mean, there are a lot of people who are probably watching us online that have never actually physically entered the doors of this church, and so one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is being able to meet you, whoever you are when you have the opportunity to come to this church. And uh, so, so thanks for tuning in and sharing really what is a part of your life. That's your time with us. We really appreciate that. Uh, today, as, as you've heard, is Palm Sunday. So this is the day where every year Christians all over the world celebrate the entrance of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And what's a little bit confusing, I think, about the story uh, is the fact that on Sunday, Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem and he enters in being hailed as Israel's king. And then on Friday, he's crucified. Same city. Figure that out. On Sunday, he comes riding on a donkey. And it's like a parade, man. Like the people are taking off their cloaks. And we don't get cloaks because we don't dress the same way that they did. But cloak was a very personal item. It might have been your most personal item. It was a thing that was created uniquely for you. Like you could spot me in a crowd from my cloak if you knew it. Because it said Tom, if you will, on it. These guys were taken off their cloak, which was their outer garments, are throwing it down in front of the donkey that Jesus is riding on under the feet of the donkey as if to say, we, the people of this land, are, O great king, under your feet. And not only that, but they cut off the palm branches, thus the name Palm Sunday. They're cutting off some of the fruit of the land and they're placing that under the feet of, of the great king who is Jesus. And they're saying, look, it's not enough for us on this day to declare that we, the people of the land, are under your feet we want you to know that the land itself is under your feet. Like, like this is all for you. Save us. Hosanna. They declare Jesus king on Sunday. They hail him as king. And then on Friday, they nail him to a tree with a mocking statement over his head that says in three languages so everybody can read it, king of the Jews. So what happened? I mean, there are a lot of things that happened, guys. You know, there's political intrigue. There's, there's the enemies of Jesus. I mean, there are a number of answers to this question. But one of the answers to this question, very simply, is this. Unmet expectations. In other words, these people who hail Jesus as king on Sunday are expecting Jesus to come and he's going to do this. And then Jesus comes and instead he does this. And here's what unmet expectations do, and all of us experience this every day of our lives, okay? Unmet expectations lead to anger. When you fail to meet somebody's expectations, they get irritated with you, they get frustrated with you, they get angry at you, you know, when somebody fails to meet your expectations, it's the same reaction out of you. And so these people are like, praise Jesus, hail him as king, it's Sunday, he's obviously come to do this, and then he doesn't do this. He does this. And then he's nailed to the tree. It's the wood of a cross. It's made from a tree. When you read about it in the New Testament, a lot of times in the English it says cross. Yeah, the word is tree. It's kind of the word of the day for us. The word tree matters. So two questions, for me at least, come out of that scenario. And question number one is, what did Jesus come to do? I mean, like, what did he actually come to do? And then the other question, and it's a personal question. It's a question that I have to answer. It's a question that you have to answer. And the question is, what do I want Jesus to do? Because the reality is they may not be the same thing. You know, they hail him as king. They expect him to do this. He doesn't do this. And 
they're angry and they're disappointed and they're all worked up at Jesus, but for a different reason. So what did he really come to do? Because if we accept the biblical narrative about Christ, then who is he? He's not just a man like me or maybe like you, okay? He is God made man who in love has come into the world to do something that at the same time answers the question of what do we really need for him to do? What did Jesus come to do? Well, Luke, who is the author of the book of Luke, actually answers that question in the story that he gives us immediately preceding his account of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It's like Luke is anticipating his rejection. It's like he's going, hey, guys, on Sunday, these guys are going to hail him as king because they expect that he's going to come and he's going to do this. But before he even gets there, I'm going to tell you he's not going to do that. He is going to do this. And you know that because I give you this story that takes place in the city of Jericho and that involves this guy whose name is Zacchaeus. And if you grew up in church, and I know that not everybody did, But if you did and you went to Sunday school or vacation Bible school or summer camps or, you know, any of the things that a lot of kids do, all right, well, then you probably know something about Zacchaeus and and because you've sung his song. And so what you know about Zacchaeus is that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And, you know, a wee little man was he. Like Zacchaeus hates this song, don't you think? This is terrible. But it speaks of his body. And it tells you that physically, he was small. But there's way more to the story than that. I think that the story is implying, Luke, who is writing the story, is implying that Zacchaeus is small, yes, but that Zacchaeus is small because he is physically deformed. There is an obvious physical deformity about this man, and that's what's made him so small. And so if you suffer from a physical deformity... Like right there, Zacchaeus is your buddy. Like immediately you can relate to him. But if you don't, then you can't necessarily relate to him, at least not on that level. And that is kind of a problem for some of the rest of us. And the reason for that is because relating to Zacchaeus is exactly what Luke wants you to do. Like he writes this story in such a way as to make it like he's the one jumping up and down now. And he's going, guys, in this story, you are Zacchaeus. And you're not Zacchaeus in body. The body's not the issue. There's Zacchaeus in soul. See, it's very clear that Zacchaeus isn't just deformed out here. Zacchaeus is deformed in here. So what is Luke asking us to do? He's saying, look, here's what I want you to do as a part of this story. I want you to look at your soul. And in that sense, and it's a limited sense, the coronavirus is a gift to us. Guys, we are living in the midst of a crisis. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. That's why we're in this living room and you're in yours. This is a crisis. And one of the statements that I've heard again and again and again and again and again and again about crises is this, that a crisis makes you more of what you already are. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you're selfish, a crisis makes you more selfish. If you're prideful, a crisis makes you more prideful. If you're materialistic, you're hoarding more now than you've ever done before. And you are like shutting all the doors, man. You're hanging on. If you're controlling, oh, come on. Like you're controlling everything about everyone and everybody wants you to leave the house. You know, they're like, go back to work. Get out of here. You're making us nuts. You're controlling everything. You're counting squares of toilet paper. Like this is ridiculous. If you're fearful, if you're anxious, I mean, I don't even need to get there, do I? Look, here's the deal. A crisis makes you more of what you already are. It it hands you, if you will, a magnifying glass into your own soul. 
It lets you see things in you that in your better moments when there's no crisis to manage and there's nothing else going on and the chaos is kind of at a low roar as opposed to where it's at presently, you're able to mask even from yourself. This is the perfect time to look at a story in which the author, the biblical writer who is Luke in this case, is coming to you and going, all right, well, this is great because I want you to look at your soul and then I want you to look at Zacchaeus, not in body, but in soul, and I want you to see that your soul's just as deformed as his. I mean, it may be deformed in different places. It may be deformed for different reasons. You might have different gods, different idols, but whatever the case may be, hey, um, in the story, you're Zacchaeus. Story happens in the city of Jericho. It was a beautiful city in Jesus' day. It was referred to in that day as the Eden of Palestine. It's a reference to the Garden of Eden because it was garden-like. It was famous for its balsam groves and for its date palms. It was the rose capital of the Middle East, which means that it was not only beautiful, but it, it was amazingly fragrant. It was said that you could smell Jericho from miles away if the wind was blowing in your direction, and it was awesome. It was a highly cultured city. It was a wealthy city. Ancient Jericho, and I was literally there just a few months ago with many of you. Ancient Jericho was located six months or six miles north of the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea, if you're familiar with the geography of Israel, is the lowest elevation on the entirety of planet Earth, which means that it is unseasonably warm year-round. And so what happened is Jericho, this amazing place, became sort of the winter vacation destination for the rich and famous. And so Herod the Great built a theater there. Archelaus built a palace there. Mark Antony on Valentine's Day for Cleopatra, okay, instead of going down to the flower shop and getting her a dozen roses, took the rose capital of the world, which was Jericho, and then he gave her that. I have no idea what he did for her birthday. Like, I mean, he's ruined after that, but that was a good day. It's remarkable. Jericho was a wealthy city. It was a place of great commerce. It was located on one of the three largest trade routes in all of Palestine. It was established by Rome as one of its three main taxing centers, which is actually important to the story. And so when Luke comes to us and he tells us in Luke 19, beginning in verse 1, that Jesus entered the city of Jericho, he's calling to mind this beautiful, this fragrant, this highly cultured, this amazingly wealthy city that had a main street that was lined for the sake of shade, for the sake of beauty, for the sake of the fact that these trees produce fruits with sycamore fig trees. You go to Jericho today, and its main street is not lined with sycamore fig trees, but there are sycamore fig trees there. Like, you know, it's part of the tour. You pull over in your bus and you go, great big sycamore fig tree. Amazing trees. But on this day, it was lined with more than trees. Look, the people in the city of Jericho had gotten wind of the fact that Jesus is coming, and they came out to see Jesus. He's amazingly famous at this point. And along with them all came Zacchaeus, which is fascinating to me. We're going to read about Zacchaeus. We're going to hear the description of him in a second. But one of the things that you're going to realize is that this man, Zacchaeus, by his own standards, according to his own definitions, this guy had achieved and acquired absolutely everything that he had set out to accomplish in life. Like he, by his own standards, had it all. And yet it's very clear from the way he behaves in this story that he doesn't come out to see Jesus out of curiosity. It's not like, you know, there's a big fuss going on in town and he's like, well, I guess I'm going to go see what's going on. And so he goes out there to go, well, you know, what's everybody looking at? No, no, no. He has heard about Jesus too. And he's coming out there, not out of curiosity. He's coming out of the, out there out of emptiness. Everything that he thought would make him full has left him empty. 
Everything that he thought he would be able to satisfy the thirst of his soul with had become like drinking sand to him. He comes out in desperation and then he behaves like a desperate man. Luke says that Jesus entered Jericho and then he says that he was just passing through. So Jesus had no plans to stop until he meets Zacchaeus. And Luke tells us then that there was this man, his name was Zacchaeus, and now he describes him in not in body but in soul. He says Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and, and it's an important ad, he says, and he was rich. Why is that significant? Well, when Rome came in and they took over a territory, they conquered it, and after they raped, pillaged, and plundered all of its citizens, so feel that for a second, they then divided up the geography of the land into taxing districts, and they auctioned the taxing districts off to local people because the local people knew where the money was, and they knew there were some greedy local people there. So what that means, practically speaking, is that one of your own countrymen, somebody who was your neighbor, somebody you went to school with, somebody you played ball with as a kid, somebody you went to synagogue with, somebody you did business with, like someone who you knew in the community paid all the money they had and all that they could borrow to win the auction to become the tax collector for Rome. That is to say, to help Rome, your hated enemy and conqueror, take more from you than they have already taken from you. And this person, this countryman of yours, this former friend, if you will did all of this so that he could rob you too because that's the way that it worked. So Rome came to the auction winner and they said, okay, Mr. Tax Collector, here's the deal. We have audited the area. We think that it's worth this much revenue for Rome per year. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you our soldiers so you have the force of Rome by which to do this and you go out and collect as much money as you want. Just pay us this. So when Luke comes and he says, look, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He's saying he's the guy that owned the whole territory. He had little peon tax collectors working for him. And when he tells us that he was rich, he's saying, guys, he collected, he took from his own people way, way more than he needed just to pay Rome and and to make a decent living. And as a result, Zacchaeus is hated by his countrymen. He's despised, he's rejected, he received an actual label, if you will, that existed in that day. And the label, and it was reserved for the most defiled of people. It was sinner. He fell into an actual class of people called sinner. He was barred from the temple of Israel. What does that mean within the construct of the Judaism of his day? That meant... He was barred from God. That meant that the religious people of his day looked at him and the way that he lived and the label he he wore because that's what they gave to him. And they said, no, God wants no part of you. No, you can't come to God. No, you can't enter into the presence of God. No, you cannot come with a sacrifice to seek the forgiveness of God. You are unworthy even to seek his forgiveness. Zacchaeus, you're a sinner. But the thing about Jesus is that he too had a label. And Zacchaeus must have known this. The label Jesus wore, and he received it, by the way, from those same people. It was friend of sinners. So just like everyone else in town, Zacchaeus turns out. Luke says in verse 3 that he was also seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd that had already gathered on this main street to get a look at Jesus, 
Zacchaeus could not see Jesus, and not simply because he was small of stature. I mean, obviously, he couldn't see over them, so that's a problem. But the reason he couldn't see Jesus is because the crowd hated him, because they locked arms against him. I mean, look, it's not like he would have blocked their view. They could have let him go through. They didn't. So what does he do? He does something absolutely unthinkable in his day. He reaches down, he grabs hold of the robes that he's wearing, he he raises them up to about mid-thigh, he ties them off at his thigh. He bares his legs. No Middle Eastern man would do that. They didn't wear shorts in those days, none of that. It was utterly undignified. And then he did another thing that no Middle Eastern man would do. He ran. That's why he pulled up the robes, to free his legs. There's a nakedness to this that is shameful in his culture. And then he did a third thing that nobody would do. He, he climbed a tree. Luke says, so Zacchaeus ran ahead of Jesus and he climbed up into one of those great big sycamore fig trees alongside the road to see Jesus for Jesus was about to pass that way. And if you think about all the things that Zacchaeus has just done in this moment, what is he saying? Because he's making a public statement. He is saying before God and before all of these people, hey, you know what? You guys have given me a label and the label is sinner. And you know what? It's right. That is exactly not just what I am. That is who I am. I'm a man deformed in body, but not just in body. My goodness. Let's talk about the truly important part of us. I am a man who is deformed in soul, and the reality is the choices that I have made, the avarice that I have displayed, the unjust treatment of my people, the traitorous aspect of me, like all of the things that I have done and all of the things I have and all of the things that I've said and some of the things that I have and all of the things I've thought and some of the things that I have and should have. And all he's like, all of this stuff has put me where I am right now in this moment. And where is that? Because it's significant. It's our word for the day. It's in a tree that Isaacius can't get out of. I've put myself here. It's where I belong. It's what I deserve. I'm a sinner, but, but I'm looking for the friend of sinners and desperate to find him. And so notice what Jesus does. It says in verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place of this tree, he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus in the tree. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, which had to be shocking, you know, because like, I mean, if you're Zacchaeus, how, you're thinking, how does he know my name? You know, because it's not like he, he sent Jesus a private note. He sent a little messenger, hey, Jesus, I know you're coming through Jericho in a couple of hours. I'm a sinner. I hear that you're a friend of sinners. Uh, I'm pretty sure the crowd's not going to let me through. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the only dude in a tree that you get to see because nobody else would do this. And so when you come to the guy in the tree, then that's me. It's not it. Like Jesus arrives at the tree of Zacchaeus and he knows his name. I find that comforting. It's like, you know what? Here I am in my tree. And he knows my name. But the other and more shocking part of it is what Zacchaeus means. The name Zacchaeus means literally righteous one or pure one. So here is God in the flesh, if you believe the biblical narrative. And he's looking at this man in a tree of his own making, labeled rightly. And he's calling him pure and he's calling him righteous. And more than that, he calls him out of the tree. 
Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, and then he says, hurry and come down out of your tree. Why? Because I've just changed my plans, okay? I must, he says, stay at your house today. And here, all these cultural things are happening here too. Cultural things that would have meant a lot to Zacchaeus and, as we'll see, meant a lot to the crowd that was going, yay, Jesus, because they thought one thing. And he's now doing another. When you stayed at somebody's house, when you so much as shared a meal, like if you went to lunch with somebody in that day, in that culture, and it's a shame-based culture in which you carefully managed your reputation, you were personally and publicly identifying with this person that you were eating with, with this person that you were staying with, like you were saying, this person and I are one. In other words, from the perspective of both Zacchaeus and this crowd, for Jesus to stop and go, I'm changing my plans, I want you to come down out of the tree, I must stay at your house tonight. All right, here's the deal. I, Jesus, am defiling myself with all of the things that put you in the tree. Just like that. And everybody knew it. Hurry and come down out of your tree. I must stay at your house today, Jesus says. And Zacchaeus is jacked. Like it says Zacchaeus hurried and he came down and he received Jesus joyfully. But here it is. When the crowd that had just been celebrating Jesus saw all of this, celebration ended. And they all grumbled. And they said, Jesus has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. We've proclaimed him as such. Good grief, he's in a tree. I mean, like he's proclaimed himself as such. You're going to go do that? What is the matter with you? So what has he done? He's violated their expectations. What did they expect of Jesus in regard to Zacchaeus? That he would, that he would reject Zacchaeus, that he would condemn Zacchaeus, or at the very least that he would ignore Zacchaeus as a non-entity, because that's what he was to them. And instead, Jesus comes and he embraces Zacchaeus. He takes his condemnation upon himself. Good grief, he might as well have just climbed up in the tree, which is something to hang on to. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received Jesus, but the crowd, well, you know, the crowd grumbled and they said, Jesus has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And now notice what happens in the house of Zacchaeus. It's amazing. It says, while Jesus was there at the helm of this self-declared sinner, Zacchaeus stood and again here, culture, to stand in this kind of a moment, in this kind of a setting is to take a formal legal posture. It is to say, I am about to say something, people, that is legally binding upon me. Like when I utter this statement, I'm not going to be able to un-utter it. And what does he say? He said to the Lord, behold, the Lord, the half of my goods, half of my entire net worth, which is substantial, I give to the poor. And then he gives the other half away when he says, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I mean, come on. I'm not just going to pay them back what I owe them. I'm not just going to pay back what I owe them plus a little interest. I'm going to pay them back what I owe them, but four times what I owed them. Like if I owe them a dollar, I give them $4. If I owe them $10,000, I give them 40. The man is destitute, just like that. 
He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I hereby restore it fourfold. And notice Jesus' response. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, since Zacchaeus also is a son of Abraham. And we need to be careful here, because you might hear that and go, Well, wait a minute. Is Jesus saying that Zacchaeus is saved because he just righted all of his wrongs and you know gave away all of his money? No, no. Jesus is saying that Zacchaeus righted all of his wrongs and gave away all of his money because he is saved. Zacchaeus has found a greater treasure. Zacchaeus had a king. And Zacchaeus got everything that that king had to offer. His king was money. His king was wealth. And it left him wanting and desperate. It humbled and humiliated him. And that king has gone off the throne of his heart and now Jesus is on the throne of his heart. And you know that Jesus is on the throne of his heart. Why? Because of what he does with his former king. Now that may or may not be your king. I get that. But when Jesus is king, it changes what you do, the way you behave, the way you treat, your entire perspective on all the other things, the lesser things that have served as your king over the years. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house since Zacchaeus also is a son of Abraham. And then he says, okay, so I know a lot of you guys are curious and I'm going to Jerusalem here in a minute and they think I'm coming to do this, but let me tell you what I'm coming to do before I even get there. You want to know why I came? Here it is. He says, for the son of man, that's a reference to himself, came into this world to seek and to save the lost. And you say, well, you know, well, then who is that? It's everybody who likes Zacchaeus realizes that, wow, they're a sinner. That they're broken. That they're deformed in soul. And again, this is a perfect time. It's a great opportunity for all of us to frankly look into our own souls and to acknowledge things that, you know, we've denied about ourselves. (laughs) Been able in our better moments to mask. Look again, money might not be your thing, but but what is your thing? Because we all have one. That's the idea. And whatever it is, it is less than Christ. Whatever it is, it leaves us empty. Whatever it is, in the end, we're left desperate for it fails to meet the things that Christ came to actually meet, whether they're the things we wanted him to meet or not. Who is that lost? It's, it's those who understand, like Zacchaeus, that are Our souls are deformed in that, you know, the way we've lived, what we've said, not said, what we've done, not done, what we've thought, not thought, all that stuff has left us in a tree of our own making that we can't get out of until Jesus comes and we encounter the Son of God who looks at us in our tree and alone can command us to come down. Why? Because guys, on the tree of the cross, Jesus climbed up into the tree that I deserved and that you deserve. And he took it for us. That we might be free of it. He so identifies himself that he receives the defilement that we've won for ourselves. And then he puts that to death in his own person on the cross. Through faith in Christ, we are forgiven of our sins. We are progressively as we submit to him and surrender to him and participate with what his spirit wants to do in us, healed of our deformities. And we receive a new name. And it's an awesome name. 
It's the name Zacchaeus. It means righteous one. It means pure one. So, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Because I think we're all like in a moment, we're going, I got a list. You know, like I, I want him to safeguard my health. I want him to safeguard the health of the people I love. I, 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 you know, my, my, my business is kind of up in the air at the moment. Like, I mean, there's a lot of things that are just uncertain that we want him to rescue us from. And here's the deal. We should pray and pray expectantly and look for his good and right and just answers to those prayers for us. Those are not bad things to pray about. And when that's what's best for us, keep that in mind. That's what he will do. But our most fundamental need is to be called out of our tree. That's where it all begins. Guys, what we need is him. And by the way, when we have him, as we get to know him, as we fall in love with him, as we relate to him, as he changes our hearts, as he changes our minds, as he works in our lives in ways that make us really happy and in ways that utterly disappoint us, but are yet nevertheless for our good. What we, when we have him, what we realize is that we have everything we want, not just need, but want. So my question is, do you have him? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have not been left in a tree of our own device. Lord, you come to us in our tree, wearing our label, a label that we deserve. And you call us out. God, you do it in grace. You do it at the expense of the life of Jesus Lord, call us out of our trees. Humble us by the reality that, hey, a crisis makes you more of what you already are. So let us see our souls, God, and and help us to brace for the trauma of that because that's traumatic to some degree. And then heal our souls. Forgive us, deliver us, empower us to live for you. Give us faith by which to entrust our lives to you to take the control that we so desperately want and to give it to you. We're going to do what we can, Lord, but this is in your hands. To take all the stuff that you've given to us and entrust it all to you. Hey, we're going to need some of this. This is all in your hands. To take our time and our gifts, our abilities, Lord, all that we are. And to say, none of those belong to me. It all belongs to you. Deploy them, use them. God, I'm yours and you're mine, and I win in that equation every single time. We thank you, Lord, in the midst of this crisis that you have answered the single greatest, for it is an eternal crisis, that we have the single greatest crisis, and that's the crisis of our tree. We are yours for forever. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen.